I don't know about you, but it seems like every time I do something, somebody does better than me. Uh, Al, for example, speaks Spanish a lot better than I do. Uh, Bill, much more disciplined in uh, exercising and staying in shape. Brian's is much quicker wit. David is far more creative. Uh, and the guy that lives across the street from me keeps a much better yard. And these are just the locals. You turn on the television and the radio and it gets worse. Uh, Chuck Swindoll's a better preacher. Kevin Costner's better looker. Yeah. Schwarzenegger, thank you. <laughs> Schwarzenegger's got a better build. Bill Gates drives a better car. Uh, most folks drive a better car. <laughs> but if excellence comes by its comparison, then I fail. Um, I will never be excellent if that's the case. And if, if, if exceptional ability is where we have to attain to in order to be excellent, then most of us, all of us, by and large, are destined to a bland mediocrity in life. When Ted Koppel won the Broadcaster of the Year Award, he made an interesting comment for a broadcaster. He said, I fear that we in the mass media are creating such a market for mediocrity that we've diminished the incentive for excellence. We celebrate notoriety as though it were an achievement. And in politics, we have encouraged the replacement of thoughtfulness by the artful cliché. So... What is excellence? Is excellence the athlete that breaks the world record? Is excellence the doctor that finds a cure? Is excellence the actress that moves us to tears with her outstanding on-screen performance? Well, yeah, we would say that's excellent. But what about when the athlete is incredibly arrogant? What about when this doctor who find, found this cure also is addicted to drugs. What about this actress who, in order to become famous and establish her career, has left her family? Would you still say they're excellent? You see, I think we tend to compartmentalize excellence, don't we? We'll say that the, the arrogant athlete is excellent even though he's arrogant because in athletics... He's great. And even as we say that, yeah, we've got to compartmentalize excellence when we say that somebody's excellent because nobody's excellent in every single area. But even when we say, yeah, the athlete is excellent, we call him excellent because he meets a standard. And that's the whole point, is that excellence, even though we're very selective about it, excellence still requires a standard. Our problem is, is we live in a society where standards of ethics and even aesthetics what you think is pretty or beautiful or appealing are constantly changing. Therefore, our standard for excellence is constantly changing. And this creates a problem. This is why, for example, back in 1965, we could give an Oscar to the best picture for The Sound of Music. And last year, 1999, we give an Oscar for best picture to American Beauty. 
a movie whose whole theme is centered around sensuality and adultery. Fascinating. Exact same title, best picture. And yet what changed? The movies couldn't be anything further apart aesthetically and ethically. And yet they get the same title. What changed? Well, the standard is what changed. The standard of excellence. But you know, true excellence isn't rooted in comparing you to me. True excellence isn't rooted in our ever-changing standards. Excellence, true excellence actually has to have a system of values that is not just one part of your life, but permeates and integrates all of our life. Excellence has to be rooted, true excellence has to be rooted in truth. And who is it that determines truth but God? The Bible teaches us very clearly that the standard of excellence is God's character. God's character. Because God himself is excellent, he is the absolute standard by which all excellence is to be judged. If you were reading the Old Testament, you'd see a couple, of, a couple of times what's written in Leviticus 19. Just look at the screen. It says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In the New Testament, Jesus said a similar thing in Matthew where he said, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You ever wonder when you were growing up why you had to tell the truth? Why your mom or your dad or whoever it was that raised you says, tell the truth or be obedient? Ever wonder why other than fear of punishment? Well, you go to church and you say, well, the Bible tells me I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to tell the truth. But why does the Bible say that? Well, because that's what God says. Okay, why does God say that? Why do you have to be good? Because that's God's character. We live morally because God is moral. We live ethically because God is ethical. We're to be holy because God is holy. We are to be perfect because God is perfect. Well, obviously none of us fit that standard of perfection or holiness. So we're in a, we've got a problem. The standard of excellence is God's character and none of us meet that character, what do we do? Because of our imperfections, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking all of our imperfections, all of our sins on him. And he died to pay the penalty that we deserved. But the Bible tells us that if we'll place our faith in Jesus, who died for our sins, our sins are forgiven. And we can, in God's eyes, legally be forgiven and perfect and holy as he is holy. Usually when you think about excellence, you think about giftedness. And partly this is true. If you look in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. Notice the two parts to that verse. He says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, there is a more excellent way. In other words, these gifts or abilities are excellent. It's okay to be gifted and talented. That is a measure of excellence. But Paul says, we don't stop with that. There is a better way or a more excellent 
way. And he goes on to say, you know, if I've got the skill, if I've got the gift and the ability to speak in the languages of men or even of angels, but I don't have God's character, I don't have love, my gift and my ability are kind of like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Yes, they have some value in and of themselves, but if, but if excellent giftedness isn't rooted in excellent behavior, then excellent giftedness is pretty much worthless. And so, since it's true then that the standard of excellence is God's character, when you bring it down to our level, what's the, the, the essence of excellence for us? It's godly character. The essence of excellence for us is godly character. Talent is not to be our central concern, but character. Excellent character. The very last chapter of the book of Proverbs, look on the screen, it talks about a woman who is called an excellent woman. And it says of her, an excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. And, and that's the beginning of the passage, and it goes down and it talks about this woman of excellence. And at the end it says... Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them. And notice, other women, he says, do nobly. They do good things. But this woman excels. She is excellent. What makes her excellent? Because she does good things? No, other ladies do good things too. Why does she excel these other ladies? Why is she excellent? The passage, if we were to spend time in it, would show. It's not just that she does things well, but it's that her character... The good things are rooted in who she is because excellence at its foundation is a term of character, not of achievement. Now, in the world, it's a term of achievement. But in truth, according to the Lord, excellence is a term primarily related to character. And our attitude is going to say a whole lot more about us than our actions. That's why for one who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, God judges our hearts. God judges our motives for why we do something well, not just that we do something well. Look in your Bible, if you would, if you brought one, to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. And again, if you uh, don't have a Bible, we've got one we'd love to get into your hands. You can have it if that's where your need is, because we want you to have a copy of the Scriptures. And we have, they're in the lobby, if you, if you need one. Take it with you. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about a judgment. And usually when you think of a judgment after this life, you think about, you know, judgment day. You hear judgment day and you think about the great white throne judgment. The big judgment where God lines everybody up in the whole human race and says, okay, this half goes to heaven, this half goes to hell, based on faith in Jesus Christ. But you never see that in the Bible. You never see believers and unbelievers in heaven in judgment. And God separates them. The separating that's, that's done, the sheep and the goats business, is down here on earth. But the judgment that's spoken of here is for a Christian. You say, wow, uh, I thought that Jesus Christ died on the cross and we're not going to receive judgment. This is true. As far as heaven and hell. That, our judgment as believers was taken care of in A.D. 33, April 3rd, when Jesus Christ died on the cross. So what judgment is it talking about here? It's a judgment for reward. And it's a judgment that is based off the excellence, the excellent way you do what you do. 
So let's look, walk through this passage together. 1 Corinthians 3, we'll start in verse 10. Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. So let's explain here a little bit what Paul's talking about. He's using a picture, a metaphor of a foundation of a home and the building of a home, building of a house. And he says, that, let's pretend that's you. He says, nobody else can lay any other foundation other than Jesus Christ. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, foundation, solid, rock solid foundation, can't ever be changed, can't ever be moved. But how you build on that, the life that you develop from that solid foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, now that is, that's up to you. And so he says, let each man be careful how he builds on this solid foundation. And he gives an example of several different kinds of building material, of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. And uh, look at verse 12 once again, and we'll read verse 13 with it. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. I recently had a computer monitor fry on me. It didn't work anymore. Flicker in and out. And so I called the company that made it and I said, hey, my monitor doesn't work. And they said, well, if you had gotten an extended warranty on it, you wouldn't be in this, in this problem. You wouldn't be having this problem. And I thought, you know, is the problem really that I don't have an extended warranty or is the problem that the product you made isn't that good? Is the problem with the insurance or is the problem with the quality of the workmanship. You ever notice when you buy something, before you even pay for it, they ask you, you want to get extended warranty on it? And you want to say, why? Doesn't it work? There's always that fear factor of the insurance with it. Because it seems today that things are built just long enough to outlast the warranty, almost to the day. Warranty's a year, last a year. Warranty's 30 days, last 30 days. And there is a time that comes that tests the quality of the workmanship of anything that's done. For most folks, it's the day after the warranty. For us, it's when we come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And incidentally, for those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, what we're reading about now could happen in the next ten minutes. Because when Christ comes at the rapture, this is the very next event this judgment for our works of, of reward. Not heaven and hell. That's a, an issue of faith in Jesus. But this is an issue of reward. And Paul says, depending on how you build, use these different kind of materials. And he says that it's tested with fire. And the picture is a good picture. The metaphor is a good metaphor. Because when you, when you look at a house that's been built, have you ever seen one burned down? 
what's left but the foundation. And if they've built a brick fireplace, of course, the brick fireplace is left. Now, why is the fireplace there, but everything else is gone? Because the fireplace is made out of the same kind of material as the foundation, stone or concrete, which is makeshift stone. Same material. That's why it lasts. And the point is, Paul says, look, you got the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Now when you build, you need to build of the same kind of material that the foundation is made out of. And if it's not done in a quality way, it'll burn. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here. Look at verse uh, 13. It says, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it's to be real with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now verse 14. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. He shall receive a reward. How does it remain? Well, we won't look at it, but in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 5, it talks about the fact that the criteria of judgment is your motive. What's your motive for doing what you do? It's not how well you do it, it's not how much you do, but it is your motive. It's the quality. Your motive determines the quality. And so if it's good quality, good motive, there's a reward. But what if it's not done with good motives? Look at verse 16. Uh, no, look at verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. And the NIV probably gives a little better sense of it there. The NIV says, as one escaping through the flames. Notice, this verse scares people sometimes. You go, wow, any man's work is burned up. He shall suffer loss. But notice this, he himself shall be saved. This is not a salvation judgment. Notice it's the work that's burned, not the person. And don't mix the metaphors. It's talking about building a house. The house is tested with fire in some way. When we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the motives of our heart, of everything that we've done, will be tested such a thorough way as fire tests a house. And what lasts, what's left standing after that discernment, after that judgment, there's reward, and what is not there, you suffer loss. You don't lose rewards that you already have, but you don't get rewards. Uh, that's the loss. Potential rewards that you could have had. Our culture looks at the stuff that burns. God looks at the stuff that stays. Our culture looks at how much you do. And really, that's the bottom line in this world, isn't it? How much do you produce? How much does it make? How much do you benefit your employer? And that's pretty much the world we live in, and that's okay. But we can't transfer that when we go to try to serving the Lord, because serving the Lord is an issue of motive. It's an issue of character not just an issue of the externals. And that's what true excellence is. At its essence is godly character. So you could say, first of all, very simply, that the motive for excellence is to honor God. It's to honor Him. If the Lord were to come at this moment and we were to stand in His presence in the next moment, the, the, the reason that we would be judged or the criteria for the judgment of our works is our motive. Was it done to honor Him? Or was it done like most of the world does in comparison with one another for pride to honor ourselves? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he says, 
Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do it all for God's glory. Whatever you do, do for God's glory. Now answer me this. How can you do anything for God's glory and not try to do it well? You can't. If you're really trying to do something for God's glory, then you are going to do an excellent job. And this is the whole thing that you, we want to make sure that we're clear on here. While we've stressed, you know, the whole standard of excellence is God's character. The, the essence of excellence for us is godly character. The motive for excellence is to honor God. Everything's in the heart so far, isn't it? But that doesn't downplay the importance of doing a good job. It doesn't downplay the importance of excellent achievement. It just says, don't get the cart before the horse. Know why you're doing it well. But don't let just doing it well be the beginning and end of it. God gave gifts to people, not for mediocrity, but for excellence. He gifted me in a certain way that I might excel that way. He's gifted you a certain way that you might excel that way. Not my way and not me your way, but each of us individually to excel where God has gifted us. And to settle for mediocrity in those giftedness, in those gifts, is to misuse the gifts. We must excel at what God has given. So our motive for excellence is to honor Him. But you know, there's also a very practical reason that we want to be excellent. And that is that the product of excellence is that it inspires people. It inspires people. When something is done well, it inspires them to want to honor God as well. But when it's not done well, there's not much inspiration there for uh, honoring God. Look at this cartoon I saw some time ago. This guy's sitting in front of TV and the program says, we're experiencing a temporary lack of quality. Please don't read a book. <laughs> now, we have never seen that on television, have we? Because nobody wants to admit what sometimes is painfully obvious to us when we watch a television program, that they're experiencing a temporary lack of quality here. This isn't really very good. I was watching a, a program the other day, not the other day, a couple months ago. A morning's morning programs. I was at the gym, I was riding the bike and they had the TV there. And this lady, this hostess on one of the morning programs had these two experts. And they had done some, written some book on health. And so they were interviewing, and the hostess, the lady, asks, uh, would you tell us a little bit about your book and why this aspect of health, health is so important? And the expert says, oh, I'd be glad to. He said, well, uh, the reason this is important is because, you know, health is essential, and, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, the, I mean, the guy was floundering. He probably said, oh, I don't, probably ten times. And the hostess quickly jumps in and says, well, thank you. Uh, can you elaborate to the other expert? And the other expert, she says, oh, I'd be happy. She says, well, it's you know, pretty much like he said. <laughs> and this hostess pulls back and you know, they, they zoom in on her. And you can tell she's angry because her experts have blown it. And she quickly goes to a commercial. And I thought, you know, that doesn't really inspire me to buy their book on health. In fact, it inspires me not to, doesn't it? It's excellence that inspires us to do what the person is talking about. I'll never forget it. I had, uh, I had a solo one time in college. 
when I was in the college choir over at the university, we uh, did our, our seasonal concert, the final concert of the year, and uh, it was one of these, these difficult contrapuntal pieces where everybody is doing something different. Every part, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, is singing something different. They all had a different line, and at times they would match up, at times they were doing different, at times there would be absolute total silence. And you had to really watch your music because this was a very hard piece rhythmically. And so we're cruising along, la, 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 everybody's doing their own thing. And then there was to come a part, then there was to come a time of absolute silence, and I misread my music and did my solo. <laughs> and with bold confidence, la, in front of hundreds of people, all in tuxedos and long gowns. My only solo in college. The, after the performance, the choir director came up to me and said, Wayne, I really liked your solo. <laughs> and I, uh, I thought, you know, I probably did not inspire a lot of people that night with the quality of that particular piece. Because it wasn't excellent. And uh, singing in choir is really not my forte. Okay, so that's not why I'm doing that for a living. Excellence inspires people to honor God. We're told in the Old Testament that Kenaniah, the head Levite, was in charge of the singing. That was his responsibility because he was skillful at it. Not because he had tenure. Not because he paid David a big sum of money. David put him in that position because Kenaniah was a good singer. David says, all right, Ken and I, you get to be the one that leads singing because he was skillful at it. See, there is a place for excellence and achievement in the ministry. It's not just all the heart. And in the same way, those who sing on this stage, Lord willing, we do all we can to make sure that they do it well. You say, well, you know, it's the heart that counts. Yeah, but the ears got to listen to it. And there's no inspiration in a bad job. That's why, we, that's why we value excellence. Not only in the heart, but as that is expressed in the, in the job, in the job that's done. And just to, to comment on that a little further, because you know it's not fair. If somebody, if somebody is trying to serve in an area that, that they can't excel in, it's not fair to them because... Uh, uh, it's not fair to those whom they're trying to serve because they're not being edified. The heart may be right, but the ear is not being edified. And it's also not fair to the person themselves because they are not in a place where they can do excellently and honor God and inspire people, which is what excellence is all about biblically. But we're not just talking about the folks up here on the stage, that ministry is not just here in this, you know, 100 square feet. Ministry is not even here, just here, or down there. But it's what we do wherever God has placed us to influence others for Him. And that is to be done in an excellent way. One time Jesus, in the book of Mark we read, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. 
God gifted the artisans of that day to make a beautiful temple in which to go and worship God. You look at Solomon's temple, you look at the tabernacle even back before that during the time, God says, I want gold. I want it to look just like this. I want it to look just right. Make sure you do it just like I want because it's going to be gorgeous. That excellence reflects the excellence of our Heavenly Father. I am awestruck by the excellence that the Lord has placed in this ministry. I think about this week I met with uh, Sam Pedigo and uh, Holly Branch, who kind of headed up the mission trip to Russia, which they just got back last week. And kind of debriefed with them a little bit, and they, they told me, he says, here's what we planned to plan, had planned to do, here's what we did, here's how it went, here's how many people showed up. You know, they had 85 women every single day come to this deal. In Russia, that's a big deal, and on a, a, a woman's holiday, national holiday for women, where the women take the day off, and yet they all came to this seminar. They just listed all the things that they had done. And I just sat there going, man, that is awesome. Because both of these folks do what they do well. And incidentally, they're not on staff. They don't get a dime. They serve God out of a heart to do it out of excellence. I think about uh, Leslie, Lindsay, Evelyn, outstanding young ladies who uh, pretty much the brainchild behind the common stage players and the, uh, the deal that goes on that'll go on tomorrow night for the youth. And I heard one pastor who brought his youth from another place told me, he says, you know what? Brought my kids to that and the Spirit of God was really there. You know what that does to me to hear somebody else say that about what y'all are doing? It's exciting. It inspires me to hear that they were inspired by somebody serving the Lord with excellence. I was in the lobby two, three months ago with Richard Moore. We were standing there and this kid comes running up and says something to Richard and asks Richard to do something right then, right now. Can we go do something? And the way Richard responded to this kid, he didn't just say, get away from me, kid. Like probably what I would have done. But he's <laughs> he said to this kid, he was so kind and so concise and handed him was, handled him with such skill. I just sat there and thought, man, I could never do that. It inspired me, it really did, to thank God for giving us somebody like Richard with that kind of a passion and skill with kids. John Gardner has a book called Excellence, and in it he wrote, We must learn to honor excellence in every accepted human activity. However, humble the activity and to scorn shoddiness, however exalted the activity. An excellent plumber is infinitely more admirable than an incompetent philosopher. The society that scorns excellence in plumbing because plumbing is a humble activity and tolerates shoddiness in philosophy because it is an exalted activity will have neither good plumbing nor good philosophy. Neither its pipes nor its theories will hold water. <laughs> what Gardner's saying is, is no more true in society than it is here in the church. And we've got much more than pipes and theories at stake. Shoddiness in serving the Lord in the area of your giftedness does not well reflect our God who is excellent.
You know, if you teach Sunday school, you think, you know, I, I, I don't really need to strive for excellence. Because, you know, after all, I'm not the one. I'm not the one teaching. I'm not the one preaching. It's not as big a deal. You may think because you helped clean up yesterday. Think, oh, I'm, you know, I, I don't really have to do excellent job. I mean, good grief. It's no big deal. I don't teach a Bible study or something. See, me, mediocrity runs across the board just like excellence does. Whatever you do, Paul said, whatever it is you do, do it to honor and glorify God. And you can't do anything to honor God and not do it well. Now, obviously, there's room for mistakes. Okay? Uh, we've made mistakes, and we'll make mistakes again. But that doesn't excuse us from planning to make mistakes. Jesus told a story one time that started off like this. He said, For it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. A talent is not like a, a gift or ability. It's money. Gives more money to one, more money, uh, less money to another, and less money to another, according to, his, to, their, to their ability. And then, of course, the parable goes on that he comes back and asks for an accounting. The one who had five invested it, gave five back. The one who had two invested it, gave two back. The one who had one stuck it in the dirt and hid it and gave that one back. And the two that had done something with what the master gave them were commended. In fact, they got the exact same commendation, even though they had two totally different results from what they had to work with. And this is what the master told them. He told them, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Notice the master, and of course the parable reflects Jesus, that Jesus would tell one to whom he has entrusted something with somebody, and they did something with it. They didn't just bury it. He says to them, well done. Jesus commends excellence, not shoddiness. Well done, he says. And then of the slave or the servant, he is good and faithful. The job was done well. The servant was good and faithful. A lot of people view the ministry as a spectator sport. That is, you come, you pay your deal, and you watch the pros do their deal. That's not at all what the church is. The church is not uh, a building. The church is people. The church is us working with each other. There's going to come a day of accountability, as this parable says, for the God-given capacities we have, for the opportunities we have, and for the responsibilities we've been given. There comes a day of accountability as well. So the question I have is, what are you doing with the talent or the possession or the gift that is that God has left you with? Everybody's got it. The parable says, each according to their own ability. Everybody's got it, some more, some less. What are you doing with what God's given you? Because, as this parable says, and as we saw in 1 Corinthians, at any moment when the Lord Jesus comes, there is going to be an accounting and a potential reward or potential loss. I know that you, like I, want to be found faithful. And you, like I, want to maximize 
what God has given us and to do an excellent job and not a shoddy job. My, grand, my grandmother's sister, my Aunt Milda, German lady, Aunt Milda, taught me something. It's the only thing I can ever remember her teaching me when I was a little boy. It was a little rhyme she, that she says now. Listen, she made me repeat it. She says, listen, good, better, best. Never let it rest. Tell your good is better and your better's best. She says, now say it. Good, better, best. Never let it rest. Tell your good is better and your better's best. And that is always stuck with me. You got three things. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. God deserves our absolute best. What he has given you, do your best with it. With a motive to honor him and inspire people to honor him. That is biblical excellence. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we can look at nature and see how water takes the easiest path as it runs down the hill. And in our lives, we are so often like those streams to do just what is the basic, bare, minimum, and easiest, and to content ourselves with mediocrity. Lord, I thank you today for the clear teaching in your word that you honor excellence because you yourself are excellent. And you've already called us and told us that in your eyes, when we place our faith in you, we are holy and perfect, and we need to do nothing to be accepted. And so, Lord, we long to live up to the calling that we've received. We long to do with what you've given us responsibly and excellently. And so, to that end, we depart today, earnestly desiring to live excellent lives before you, to honor you, and to inspire others to honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Lord bless you.